thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we have an amazing guest on our show today. This fellow has been a friend of ours for quite some time, but predominantly our Kimmies. So I'm not going to steal the limelight or I'm not going to try and introduce Jamie because I don't think that I'll do a very good job. But I'd like to welcome Jamie Milne from Jamie Milne Training here onto the Up For A Chat show. And Kimmy, over to you because you know this hunk of spunk and (laughs) you've been training with him, you've worked with him and we've got some amazing things to talk about here that um, we just know our listeners are going to be so inspired by. So yeah, and, and honestly, Jamie, you're right, Karen. He is very good eye candy. He is wonderful to look at and certainly wonderful to be trained by. But um, being a fellow Kiwi, there's a lot of wonderful connections. And Jamie, I'd just love you if you could explain to everybody, give us a little bit about your past, how you got to be in Australia, your growing up, and, and how you got to be where you are today. Give us the history. <laughs> uh, hey, ladies, how are you? The, um, look, my name is Jamie. I was born in the beautiful Rotorua, the Bay, Bay of Plenty of the North Island. Um, most people that have travelled around the world, they um, Rotorua leaves a special little mark on most people that have been there, and it's usually got to do with the ambient smell of kind of uh, rotten eggs, socks. I've heard other descriptions about Rotorua, but most people that have been to Rotorua know what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful little place. Um, so I was born there, went into the Navy very young, um, so spent a number of years in the military in the Navy, which led me and sort of stuck a bit of wanderlust in my veins and, and got me traveling, got me going around the world and having a good look, look around. Um, I danced with a bit of uh, bad lifestyle choices and um, Blew out to a significant 116 kilos, I think was the biggest. Oh, no, sorry, 112 kilos was the biggest I got to. Um, so made a few bad choices there as I went into my late 20s, um, which led me to a career, well, led me to some self-education and, and some self-reflection, uh, realisation, however you want to put it, knowing that I had to make a shift and making a lot of bad choices and um the short of the long was as I started to do my own research and use myself as a bit of a guinea pig, I, I developed this enthusiastic passion for all things movement and health and wellness and this full spectrum sort of health literacy uh, approach. And I just got relentless with learning about the body and, and what fuels the body and um, and all the lifestyle choices and things like that. So I basically over a number of years, I mean, I've been in the fitness industry about 14 years, but over this time of traveling and, and growing and learning, I entered the, the fitness industry and as a fitness professional, a strength and conditioning coach and a sports psychologist. Um, and I ended up opening, coming to Australia, spending quite a number of years here and, and having the the good fortune to to open my own facility here on the beautiful Sunshine Coast, the one place I wanted to to live and, um, yeah, and continue my professional career. So here I am getting yeah. involved. And, and it's a pretty, it's a, an amazing setup as well. But, but, Jamie, you've missed a few little things and I just know that, <laughs> <laughs> that, that you, you know, I, what I love about you is that you openly share, I mean, without, saying it to Crassley, you were a bit of a rat bag and like you said briefly there you lost your way a little bit you danced with the other side mm. I just would love to know because many wives and women listen to the show and would and love it when we have a gentleman on and he's talking what was the switch that took you from wanting to keep on a path of self-destruction into mm. a lifestyle because that sounded so easy the way you just you you just shared your story but I'm sure there were some amazing pivotal points that created that shift for you could you explain any of those for us yeah yeah no no problem at all um I think probably the biggest one the catalyst 
for change was I was, I was overseas for it. So I, I was a ship's diver in the Navy. And when I left the military, I was a, a glistening lean 75 kilos dripping wet. So, and relatively fit and could sort of hold my own. And, and I left and I was kind of going through a stage of rebellion. You know, you end up, almost institutionalized. I, I went into the Navy at 16 and a half, signed the dotted line for 20 years at the age of 17 and only served seven. But you, you learn, you know, I suppose it's like being a school teacher, the bell goes, or, or, you know, being at school, the bell goes, you go here, the bell rings again, you get a break, you know, the bell goes again, you put your hand up if you want to talk and you don't talk when it's not your turn. So you become, as they, you know, you you lead a life of uniformity so when i left the the military i grew my hair and i got you know a nose ring and covered in tattoos from knee to nipple and decided to take drugs and eat bad food and you know all these things and it was almost a real hedonistic lifestyle um that i led and over about nine months i went from 75 kilos and managed to as i mentioned earlier get to a dollar 12 and i essentially got pregnant on beer and food and bad lifestyle choices. I just got massive, just absolutely swelled up. And, and then, you know, then starts the self-loathing and the, my self-worth plummeted. And the, I mean, the list goes on. And when you can't sort of, you don't like who you see when you're trying to brush your teeth and have a shave in the morning, it's, a, it's, it's one of those things that just snowballs and, and continues to, um, you continue to go down this really dark rabbit hole and what happened was I, I i'm not 100 percent sure but it was uh it was i think it was my grandfather's 75th birthday or something like that 70th or something along those lines and this was at the time sort of pre facebook and social media so no one really knew what was going on back though back in those days you, you ladies wouldn't remember this obviously um sort of more my era and there was no facebook no nothing and so you'd be sending letters home, things like that. Nobody knew I had, you know, ended up in this in this current state. So I came home back to New Zealand for my grandfather's birthday. And now my grandfather was a man, and I'm sure you know many people can relate that are listening. He was uh, like a like a mentor, a mentor, somebody I really looked up to. He did his last marathon in his 70s. He refereed football for forever and a day, and he was a well-respected athletic man in our community back home, and I always wanted to be like him. And I was coming back for his birthday, and I remember heading out to the family farm, and we were all sitting down having um you know we'd got through the real awkward greetings and hadn't seen everybody for a long time and every you know I, I was literally the big white elephant in the room I was a big brown bundle of joy big brown elephant and we were we were all sitting down having dinner and I remember my grandfather looking at me and just out of nowhere he just was sort of staring me up and down he hadn't really said much and this was a guy that I just I just absolutely loved and respected and out of nowhere he just looked at me and he said you you look disgusting like what have you been doing like where's I can't even recognize you where's my grandson and I remember thinking oh god did he just say that like in front no, sure. oh, was he talking to me? You know, and you kind of sit there, you know, that really awkward feeling you get when you just want the ground to open up and swallow you and, you know, you don't want to come crawling out of there. And I kept thinking, man. And, and then he just he kept going, you know, and going. And, you know, in between mouthfuls of oxtail stew and white bread rolls and about a dozen Heinekens, I was, you know, could feel myself getting all emotional and um, defensive. I wanted to say something and he just wouldn't really stop. So I sort of pol- politely excused myself and dusted off the crumbs and the sweat and started picking up the, the, the plates and stuff and made my way into the kitchen and just totally lost it. Like my stepmom came in and, you know, I was getting the rub on the, on the lower back, you know, don't worry about it. He didn't mean it. He, he didn't mean to say those things. And, and I remember thinking to myself, man, he meant every single word. You know, he, he is one person that, you know, a, a spade's a spade. It's definitely not a, you know, a pitchfork or a shovel. It is a spade. And, you know, I, I promised myself and I remember thinking, 
when I get up in the morning, man, I'm going to go for a run. I'm going to go for a 5K run or something, a couple of Ks. And, um, and I remember promising myself that I'd, I would never look back. And when I got up in the morning for the run, I think the 5K took me about two hours or something like that. I can't remember. But I, I literally, that was the, that was the catalyst. And that was a, yeah, a really, really long time ago. And after hearing those powerful words from somebody that I loved and cared about so much, it was exactly what I want, need, not want, sorry, not wanted to hear, but it was exactly what I needed to hear at that time to make that shift. Yeah, it's pretty amazing when we have people we love uh, be honest, be honest with love. But I don't know if that sounded very loving, but it was certainly something that got you changed. <laughs> but Jamie, he, you've gone from from 112 kilos into a fitness machine. You you have done some extraordinary things, um, attempting world records. You've you've run the length of New Zealand. You've run around Australia. You've done the length of the UK. Like. Tell us how that journey unfolded and the reason and behind what took you into doing extreme events. Okay, before you start, Jamie, before you start, mm. Kim, mm. did you just say he's done the length of New Zealand? Three times. Three yep. times. Yeah. Okay, i got to hear that. This blows my mind, this old thing. <laughs> because Kim's one of them, and I, I said, why would you do that? Yeah. So I'm hanging. This is going to be amazing. Thank you. <laughs> But I just let everybody else know that you did hear the right thing. Okay, good. And there's, there's other things he's done as well. You wait for him uh, to tell us all of them, Jamie. God. This is okay. incredible. I know. Oh, no. I know. Yeah, I don't know. You're, you're a right, real man. life superhero. No wonder you're such a spunk. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm fairly flat. I'm not going to get out of this room this afternoon. I'll be squeezing my way out of it. You guys are way too kind. Thank you. Looking forward to hearing what, how you did that and why you decided to do it. Totally. Yeah. Look, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know. It's, I mean, I've recently turned 40 and I, and I remember speaking to a good friend of mine and I was saying, you know, when people have midlife crises and, um, historically especially blokes you know it's off to go and get the harley or they they jump out of planes or they you know go on crazy sky um scuba diving trips and they travel the world and all this stuff and when i reflect over my life i think i've done all that shit for the last 20 years you know i don't i've my i've come to the realization that my midlife crisis is is an inside job you know i'm looking at it's it's almost like all of these sort of events and feats of endurance that Kimmy was talking about and all of these things have connected the dots and led me to this very point here today where I, I don't know, it's like the, it's the material world the, as we know it, it, it almost feels like I, I've got nothing to gain. Like it, it has nothing to give me anymore. And, and it's all a, a, uh, what is it, like a self-realization journey and, and the journey back to who I really am and, and where I'm from. And, you know, when somebody says, who is Jamie Milne? You know, I can, I can start to speak with confidence and without ums and ahs and, and talk about who I am and where I've been and, and my journey to this point. And I think spending as, as Kim would, I would imagine would agree with me when you spend a lot of time by yourself, <laughs> Which, which ultra marathons tend to do to you, you you get to look inward a little bit and you get to ask the tough questions. And as they say, you know, if you want answers to anything in your life, solitude's a really good place to start. And I found that worked for me. In the early days, not so much. So when we were talking about running around New Zealand and the UK and things like that, it wasn't so much, you know, I used it as a bit of escape. I was still running from things. I was running from my shadows. And as I've recently learned, as much as some of my shadows and, and my bad choices, you know, have brought me shame, as a 40-year-old man now, I can sort of stand here and, those, and speak to people and those shadows now have become my strength. And, yeah, I'm very, very, very proud of that. So if you, if you ask me what was driving me, Initially, um, I mean, my I did ten years of really long ultra marathons and what I would fondly call journey running. 
you know, the, the, the running through countries and going from A to B, which us blokes really, really like, whether we're in a car or on a bike or we're running or we're walking, we love the A to B, you know, go to Coles and get the broccoli and the almonds and come straight home. You know, it's like, okay, good. I'm good with that. I can do that. Um, so I really, really enjoy the, the journey running. And I used to do it in memory or memoriam of my grandmother, Mary, uh, who played a massive part in my upbringing. I know I spoke earlier about my grandfather, but my, my grandmother was was certainly a huge part of my upbringing. And so I, I raised, have raised a lot of money in the past for dementia and Alzheimer's and related charities and organisations. And that was kind of my thing, you know. I felt like I was repaying um, some of my poor choices. It was almost like my own version of karma. I was I was trying to find the yin to the yang and the balance. And uh, oh, and I wouldn't say beating myself up, but it was all part of this mosaic or tapestry or whatever you want to call it. This is what I was doing. It was it was my journey over ten years, and and that was certainly driving me and motivating me to do these runs. Um, you know, from Melbourne to the Sunshine Coast, around through Western Australia, ran right around Tasmania, and as we mentioned, New Zealand a few times, and UK twice, and um, and I still didn't really get the answers until until recently. So yeah, God, I've waffled on a bit. Sorry about that. I know, but it's quite powerful, and and as Cindy said, it is an interesting journey, and I know the three of us would love to know. I mean. Many of us have elders or people in our life that we adore or who have played a massive amount of um, a big role in our lives or had a massive impact in our lives. And Mm. many of us have done and made bad choices. But there's not many who would choose to run the length of New Zealand in honour of that three times or run around Australia or run around the UK. So Mm. where's that mindset come from? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know like it I think well I do I do kind of know sometimes it's hard to to verbalize but I think I think running I think whatever it is as they say and I'm sure you you ladies have heard it before they say sometimes your pain leads you to your purpose and it just seemed like the right thing to do and for me I've never been a massive fan of running but I I just found like many people, um, you know, if I was feeling a bit of darkness or I was feeling like you speak to any semi-decent health professional out there, they will advise you and encourage you to get active. Um, you know, all the feel-good hormones are released and even at just a logical level, you just feel a little better. And it doesn't mean you've got to chase a barbell around a room and do 642 burpees or anything crazy like that. It means just... As Cindy was discussing earlier, you know, did you get up early? Did you go to the beach? Has everybody had done, done something this morning? And it doesn't have to be arduous, but if you move that beautiful body of yours, you generally feel better. And I found in the early days, running for me was a way to get the needle going in the other direction and, and you know, it sort of take me out of my little dark clouds because I, I had a predisposition to poor mental health. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd get very down on myself very easily and I found running was a way to to get the needle going in the other direction and it all just kind of seemed to go along that trajectory and in and, and the early days, you know, 5Ks became 10Ks and 10Ks for a few months become 15Ks and then, you know, lo and behold, next minute you know you're, you're, you're running through Western Australia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> run for us, run. <laughs> That's pretty much the truth. Yeah, it's classic. Tell us about Mary and the impact she had in your life, and why you decided then to raise so much money. How much money have you raised so far for all of your charities? Oh, it's about a hundred, close to a hundred, a hundred grand over wow. the years. Yeah, and that, That's and that is that. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you very much. And that's definitely a collaborative effort. I mean, I was obviously the sort of the initial drive, but the good thing is when you do, as you guys would obviously know and and what you you do abundantly is when you start doing some good things, it it becomes 
infectious. You become like this really positive, good virus and everybody wants a piece of it and they, they love to get involved and do some good as well. So you kind of become a vessel for other good people to do good things. And, that's, and that seems to be the flavour of, of what happened. Um, but, yeah, Mary, Mary uh, was just amazing, like a, an absolutely beautiful lady. And, I, and two, two things she instilled in me from a very young age, and it was funny, it didn't really make much sense when I was younger. Uh, one, one was manners make the man. And I just got drilled with opening doors for ladies and don't walk in front of ladies when you're going into the shop, you know, let them pass through and, and there's pleases and thank yous and knives and forks don't get crossed over together in the middle of the plate and you know, put them together nicely and all this type of jazz. And, you know, being a, a young little rebel in Rotorua, it used to just annoy the, sh yeah, annoy the hell out of me. And, and the other one was she used to always say to me, always be nice, but I'm pretty sure she said, take no crap but I kind of changed those words a little bit as I got older and added a bit more colour to it. But she was that type of lady. She was, she was just amazing and a nurturer and, um, yeah, just absolutely beautiful. And unfortunately uh, was, you know, the disease of forgetfulness, Alzheimer's. She got early onset uh, Alzheimer's when I was about 11 or 12. So, and then she, she fought a very, very long battle uh, with Alzheimer's and I, it, it's funny I'm sure you guys have seen the movie The Notebook um, well, I can't remember what the bloke's name is um, no is it no oh, um, nah, the, uh, Ryan Ryan oh god I can't remember his name but uh, I love the line when he Ryan, says to the Ryan lady, Gosling that's it Ryan Gosling so I I, I, I I watch it <laughs> he's a dreamboat when I watch when I, I've watched that movie once and I, I just cannot watch it again, even though I, I love it. I just love it. But I, I watched that. Like that was my grandparents, 100%, like a carbon copy. I watched my granddad, you know, go to my, to my grandmother every day in the, in, the, in the hospital nursing home and he would feed her, her her meals, her lunch, her breakfast, her dinner, and until uh, the day she took her last breath. And, and, and it was a really slow, it was 10 years, something like that. It was a really, really long time, 10, 10 to 12 years. So, Jane, how old was she when that happened? She was in her very, very late 50s, I think. So not quite 60, um, maybe like 57, 58. So she got the early onset mm. dementia. Um, and, it, and it did. It started really subtly, as it does for others. You know, just little things, weird things, you know, getting up to go to the housey or bingo in those days. Um, at really odd hours, she'd be getting ready and getting up and my grandfather would be like, it's, it's one o'clock in the morning, like, where are you going? And she was already halfway out the door. So the behaviour uh, started to change um, and the alarm bells started going off. So, mm. And then it just got progressively worse. Although I will tell you a really nice story and it always sort of warms my heart. When I went there one Christmas day and my grandfather was dressing up as Santa Claus and this was in the very, very late stages, so almost a, a vegetative state. And my grandfather said, would you come down? And I, you know, and the guilt used to really, really hit me hard uh, up until recently because I, I disliked it. I really, I do really didn't like it because she wouldn't recognise me. And I'd kind of think, you know, why am I, this just upsets me and I'm sure it upsets her. And, but I decided, you know, I'll go with Granddad because he's he got some bagpipers because they're Scottish. They're from from Scotland, Dunfermline in Scotland, and he had organised a pipe, a couple of pipers to come into the home while he was Santa Claus. So whilst everybody was jumping on his knee and asking for presents and stuff, which I'm sure he would have really disliked, but they were all, you know, having a bit of a, a social get together, and we were all sitting there, and there was cake, and there was all the Chrissy stuff. And my grandmother hadn't um, been responsive for, for a, such a long time. Just no hellos, no, no anything, struggling to eat, all that, all that type of jazz. And um, anyway, the piper came come walking into the sort of the social area. And there were two of them. And, of course, the old bagpipes kick in. I won't, won't try and make a bagpipe sound. But anyway, the bagpipes start. And all of a sudden, my grandmother starts tapping her feet and clapping her hands and, you know, we all just looked and we're like, oh, my God, you know, and, and 
my grandfather said to me, and I remember him turning and looking at me and saying, there you go, there's the power of music. And I would never, ever forget that day. It was just absolutely amazing. So, and as it, as it turns out, I've, I've found out that um, I went to the dementia, Alzheimer's um, Research Centre in Melbourne, and they, they've recently established that people that are living with these progressive stages of dementia and that they, they do know what's going on. They just can't, they can't communicate that to, to people, to their loved ones. So, and that was interesting because way on back, back then, 97, 98, there was a prime example. So go figure. I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that, that they, even though they couldn't communicate, mm. that they, they knew what was happening around them. Because I, you know, my thoughts are this: is that when they can't, you know, go to the toilet by themselves, feed themselves, I know they stop eating. Uh, when they can't do those things, I go, well, "Have they reverted back to a baby?" And but I didn't yeah. know that they could continue to know exactly what's happening. But but if they can't recall who you are, how are they remembering that? That's what I mean. Yeah, I really don't. I have so yeah, because I. Yeah. Yeah, I found it very conflicting because I know in, in some cases that I think it's the synapse or something in the brain had pretty much shut down and they'd almost become trapped um, in themselves. But then, yeah, we sat down and they were, they were explaining and they had just sort of cracked this new level of research. I, I got a, a, yeah, like a grand tour of this and they had virtual reality so for carers, so if you were a carer, they put the virtual reality glasses and stuff on you and you got to experience what it was like. And it was so confronting. You're in this big room and, and you basically walked around a house in, in virtual reality and, you know, the walls are moving and you, you think you're going into the, you could hear the person in the background saying, okay, darling, it's time to go for a shower. And so you walk to where the shower is, but it's actually a cupboard where the vacuum cleaner is and you're very disorientated and it gives you a really confronting observation of what they go through so if you're a carer or a family member you can have a little bit more empathy and understanding but they're, they're really australia is leading the way with the research they're doing a great job um so yeah perhaps there's hope who knows mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wow you can only hope yeah yeah okay um something that you're doing and we quickly discussed it before we started and I'm oblivious to what it is. So why don't you explain to me as well as everybody else out there that's listening, what the project is that you're doing at the moment? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. And the, the, the project that I've been fortunate enough to take part in, uh, we've sort of spoken a little bit about the, the world of the endurance athlete. Um, and I've always been heavily fascinated and curious about the, I suppose, the intangible drivers of an endurance athlete um, and even not just an endurance athlete but anybody that is suffering in any shape or form and how do we get through that, like especially the intangible drivers, the, the, the stuff we can't see. Some people... Um, we'll call it motivation, drive, inspiration, or some of us may refer to it as human spirit. Um, and for me, it has, I've just been absolutely, you know, excited and enthusiastic and, and curious about the human spirit because I've been in a number of situations personally through running and through, you know, adverse childhood um, with the military, I've been involved with a couple of strenuous selection processes. As a uh, an adult in my 30s, mid-30s, I, I God, maybe it was an early midlife crisis, I, I applied to the New Zealand SAS in a, as a special service in a direct entry program, which allowed civilians to go through the selection process. And even during that, that 18 months of you know, running a business and going back to New Zealand to, to fulfill these requirements, there were many times where 
I just thought, I'm not getting out of here alive. Like, this is horrendous. And, you know, it could be like the 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 single mum raising three children and, and hasn't got much money or it could be the, the, the poor bloke that can't get out of bed in the morning and can't open the curtains because he's riddled with mental health and mental illness. Um, how do we get through these things and what what gets us out and what gets us moving when we when we we're done when we've got nothing nothing left and this has always fascinated me and so I'm, I'm fortunate enough to have a few intelligent friends um, one being a doctor and and uh, another one who just so happens to, to own a um, film company and I spoke to them in depth about it and we said well, why don't we why don't we explore it? You know, why don't we create some content? Why don't we do a little documentary? And of course, I, the little, the little brown boy, the little mischief boy in me gets all excited. And I'm like, Oh God, yeah, let's do that. And I'll, and, and then I thought, well, I turned 40 soon. So let's, and I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm a semi decent runner. So why don't, why don't we tackle the, the 10 most difficult ultra marathons in the world? And so everybody, all those in favor say, I, everyone's chucking their hands up and getting excited. And my friend, Dr. Kendall George, she is heavily involved with the, she's a, she's a, a midwifery is her specialty, um, but she's also an ultra marathon runner and a fitness enthusiast. So she said, oh, look, yeah, I've got great friends that are sports scientists at the University of the Sunshine Coast. And then this little, little thought process, thought activity just exploded into this 10 year documentary. So away we go and we, we get some momentum, we get some traction. And I enrolled in the uh, registered for the world's toughest uh, 100 mile trail race, which is 160 kilometers. And it was in Hawaii, in Honolulu, up in the rainforest. Then it was called the Hurt 100, of which it has a cumulative elevation of loss and gain, uh, only a few hundred meters short of Everest, Mount Everest. And it's just all mud, roots, rocks. And that's it, you know, and cliffs up the back there in Honolulu. Um, so that was the, the first the first series, uh, in a 10-part series. We just finished, literally finished filming a couple of weeks ago, and we started filming early last year. Um, and the documentary is called Wairua Spirit. And Wairua in Māori, or in Indigenous New Zealand, basically means spirit. So we called the project Wairua Spirit. We had some ethically approved research conducted by the Sunshine Coast University about uh, pain tolerance and mental toughness uh, in direct relation to endurance athletes. But I mean, it's it, again, running is just the vessel. As, as I mentioned earlier, running is just a, a piece of, of this, you know, this, this tapestry, this alchemy of, of, suffering and intangible drivers as i was mentioning earlier can be related to anybody that's that's struggling and can't find a way out of whatever fog or funk that they're in um, but it just so happens in this case it, it's running but it, it certainly can be related to anything so that's uh, that's the latest project so tell me um some things that happened not only to you but other people that were doing you know, would, we're on this voyage um, of um, killing their bodies. No, only kidding. Um, of, <laughs> you know, of doing what they did because what you're doing is, you, you know, you're really stretching yourself. So I know that you're stretching your body, but have you got some really good stories that you can tell us about yourself or, or somebody else on this amazing voyage? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I've I've personally had a number of situations where I've really questioned, one, my sanity, and two, is it safe for me to continue? And that's a, that's a really hard question to ask yourself because I, I really do believe, and I don't know if anybody else has quit on anything before, but I, I've quit a couple of times and and it really stings. And it's only up until recently I haven't been able to sort of let go of of these things. It hasn't... I used to use the word it, it haunted me, but I, I'm, I don't think it really haunted me. I was just disappointed and in myself for quitting. So I've, I've really held a really tough line on that now. Um, and so when you do find yourself questioning, you know, am I safe? Am I going to hurt myself? The, the human body time and time again 
reminds us of this how you know this complex biological system is just incredible you know when the physicality runs out you know then the the spirit the human spirit kicks in and kind of goes all right i'll i'll take it from here um and it really is amazing and i know each and every one of us including the listeners would have you know, a similar story or a similar experience. And I think it's what we do at that point um, is the real, yeah, is the real interesting component. Um, sleep deprivation, pain, um, you know, lack of fuel, food, hydration, all these things, they, they cause, you know, trauma, trauma, various traumas. They, you know, when the chips are stacked against you, but somehow, some way, you you continue to go, and and that is, yeah, again, just a testament of the human spirit. I heard somebody mention at the point, and it stuck in my head at the point of no return, when you absolutely feel like you have nothing left to give, you've only used forty percent of your stuff. So at that point, you reflect at yourself and think, have I only got? Have I only used forty percent? And that's a really confronting thought process. So, Jamie, is it fair to say that you're using the physical body to see how far the human spirit can go? Um, in, am I using the human body to? I suppose. I suppose I am. I'm. That's that's my per- perception. So that's my. I suppose that's yes. You're so sorry, Karen. Yes, you are right. I am personally. I am. Um, yeah. Some other, some other, other people. I suppose they they don't. They could potentially have been thrust into that situation where they have no choice. Um, I choose to to put myself in these situations. Um, and Kimmy mentioned earlier, you know, I've, I've I currently hold a world record for a physical activity. I and and I had also recently attempted one, both of which were very very far on the on the cusp of what I thought was achievable um, and well and truly on the far, yeah, the outer limits of what I thought was achievable. And during these attempts, you know, you get to experience these, this, this amazing phenomenon, which is the human spirit. But as mentioned, some people uh, are put in that, put in that predicament or position without choice. Um, but I think it's fascinating, you know, like when people are put in that position without choice, like, you know, I think of myself in the Bali bombing, it was without choice. So I wasn't particularly, I wasn't particularly present to what was happening. I was just, you know, going through the motions, not Mm. myself, but the, the magic of what I'm hearing with what you're saying is that by allow, by choosing that, um, not just once, but over and over and over again, and it almost is akin to the people who go, who find that um, that edge through extreme sports too. It's mm. almost like you're very present to it. You're very aware of it. And tell me, can you distinguish between the moment when the you that's here now disappears and that human spirit kicks in? Do you feel oh. the changeover? Oh, what a beautiful question. Oh, now I'm getting excited. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, uh, I want yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you're, you're speaking my language. Oh, my goodness. Nice, um, Karen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well played. Um, look, and also just before I waffle on again, I just want to acknowledge as well, Karen, I had heard your story a number of times and it's just absolutely, yeah, incredible, remarkable. So, yeah, so just amazing. The, the look, uh, I, oh, God, I get like a thousand things run through my head at the same time. There, there is there is definitely a distinct moment where where it kicks in and it and it and I've felt it a number of times and yeah you do have to be in that position it doesn't it doesn't happen without it without the suffering without the the duress it it doesn't come along and and you've got to you've got to go through the Oh, the the fatigue, the the mental anguish, the you've got to go through everything, and to the to where you really just feel like you cannot hold on, and it's just beyond that point. 
And it really is when you, when you have had enough, like when you are absolutely done, um, when the suffering is too much. And, and it's at that point that we make that decision. And I do firmly believe that majority of us, the lion's share of people that are in this position, they do give up and they're done. And, and of course, what you focus on grows, you know, as soon as you're, you're done, then that's, that's, that's what happens. But if you can get through, if you can just hold on, my God, just hold on and go that just that little bit further, just that little extra inch, hold on that ever extra 30 seconds, 15 seconds on the other side of that is where the magic lies. And I've read a book and I'm not sure if you guys have the, the rise of Superman. And it's a really, really interesting book. And it, it pretty much encapsulates what, um, what, I'm, what we're just talking about now and, and that other side of when you just hang on. And when you do hang on, it, you come back stronger. You see it all the time. You, you, know, you, you may or may not have seen it, but you, you, I've seen it so many times now when people just hang on. They just get through there. And it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Describe it. Describe it. Describe it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it. I know. I. I. I think it, it feels. It feels like the rise of Superman. It feels like you're injected with, with this this chemistry. This you do. You feel like Superman. It's like you're a real life superhero. It's like you you take off whatever you're wearing. You get into your little lycra bloody Superman suit, and away you go. And and it comes from nowhere. And you could be. I know in my experience, the Hurt 100, which we were just discussing, I mean, it took me 34 and a half hours. And you just, you know, you haven't been asleep. You're, 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 you're in, a, in, a, in a world of hurt, but something comes along and, and away you go. You know, it's, it's yeah, I don't know. It's, Is it it's almost an, like um, you're possessed or something takes over or you let go? It, and it, re- feels it really... Yeah. No, sorry, sorry, Karen. It's I and I get um I remember a friend of mine who was a commando um in the military and he said to me, when you talk about being present and being conscious of what is going on, I a hundred percent agree. You are you are all in. And I remember my friend of mine said to me, Oh mate, come on, you can do this. It's mind over matter. And it stuck out to me. And I remember thinking, mind over matter. I've heard that bloody quote so many times, mind over matter, you know, let the mind take over. Now, it's mind over matter when you're comfortable. Like now, I'm sitting in my office at the gym, the air con's on, I'm talking to three lovely ladies. You know, it's easy to sit back and say, yeah, it's mind over matter. You know, you just got to be mentally tough. You just got to be tougher, especially for blokes. You just got to be, you just got to be tougher. You just got to, you know, give it a squeeze and carry on, you know, this type of stuff. But I tell you, when you're in the thick of it, and when you are right in the middle of whatever it is you're doing and you can't see a way out, you are so present. It is not funny. You can't, you can't think about what happened two days ago. You can't think about what you're having for dinner tomorrow night. You can't think about anything other than what is going on and the pain you're experiencing at that very moment. And you can't see a light out of the tunnel. But something inside you screams to you to hold the fuck on. Just hold on. Oops, sorry. Hold on. But you... And, and I, I don't know. I, I, I don't. <laughs> I've got to be very careful here. But I would imagine, um, in my you know, masculine male state, it could be similar to perhaps childbirth. You know, if somebody came into the room whilst you were giving birth and said, "Oh, you know, come on, come on, Kimmy, it's mind over matter. Just let your mind take over. It's mental toughness." You know, we it, would probably. It, Grab them by the throat and there we go. tell them where to go. Yeah, I could imagine, you know, dead man walking. You'd have you'd have more chance of flying in the air than getting out of there alive. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. I've seen those movies. But, I've seen yeah. that on the movies. Yeah, but I, 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 that, that is my, that is, that is the parallel. You know, as I said, as, as somebody who has no no idea what that experience is like it, it i just you can't you can't visualize anything you can't see out of there you are just in the pit you're in the darkness you're in the deep black hole and you feel everything you know absolutely everything but you just got to keep going and something screams at you to hold on 
when everything else you're just every every cell every muscle every tendon every thought process just tells you it's time to stop get me out of here get me out of this shit fight and something deep inside then this is where my curiosity lies something deep inside just says you just hang in there a little bit longer and i'll take it from here and it's pretty pretty special Whew, i don't think i, I took a breath <laughs> it's, it's pretty interesting because we see these scenarios occur with people you know we've heard of, of mums lifting cars off children yes. or um you know someone like karen even you know she's still probably i don't know if i can say this on your behalf karen but that you know climbing that 10 foot wall like yeah. how you did that and sometimes when we're put under the biggest adversity or the biggest challenges that Superman or, or Wonder Woman comes out, and mm. and I do wonder what that is. I mean, Karen, have you heard of, of of the switch or what it is that occurs in people for this? Yeah, well, you know, I, uh, I can only speak from my own personal experience, but there are hundreds of thousands of people who speak of this um, almost out of body experience, and. Um, I, my language for it is that the you that's here, the me that's here now is not the me that's there at the time. And, you know, the human instinct for survival, well, there's nothing human about that. It's actually become superhuman because the me, this five foot two, um, could never climb a, a 10 foot wall, could never break open a, a apple box by myself with my bare hands, you know, could never do the things that I did. Um, but the me that was present during the bombing, um, you know, when I was orchestrating my escape, was t- was a million feet tall, thirty feet wide, bulletproof, and was God Almighty Himself. So, you know, when I think wow. when I think of the me that was present in those moments, um, I'm in awe of it. And you know, as much as that took me a while to get to that realization and to get to that understanding, where I got beyond the self pity, I think, to what the truth actually was that's when I realised that this doesn't just happen to me, this has happened for so, well, millions and millions and millions of people where they get to um, experience themselves as beyond, beyond the them that they believe that they are. And that's why I was so fascinated about this, Jamie, because it's almost like you use your, your training and you use your, your, um, your fitness and all of the challenges that you put yourself through, you use that to get to that state. Mm. And I think that, that that's profound because I think most people would give anything to exist in that state perpetually. Most people would give anything to be able to experience that um, at will. I know yeah. I yeah look it's wow that was that's pretty powerful the i think we're at a time we're ready we, i think i think society i think people we're ready we're we're ready for knowledge we're growing we're learning we want to know more about the unknown i mean especially especially in my industry um, I mean, we measure everything, you know, how, how fast can Cindy, Cindy O'Meara run five kilometers? You know, how much can Kim Morrison back squat? How much, how much can, can Karen Smith deadlift? You know, we, we, we measure everything. Everything is tangible. It's black and white. It's like, well, it's a hundred kilos or um, Cindy runs the 5k in 18 and a half minutes. I mean, we, we've got all this tangible details. I'm so fascinated by what we're talking about, the, the non-tangible, the invisible. I mean, sports science, sports psychology, exercise, physiology, we've been measuring this stuff for a very, very long time, these tangible things. We are now increasingly more curious about the stuff we can't measure. And I, I don't know if we'll get there in our lifetime or my lifetime, um, but I think we're on the cusp of getting to know a little bit more and people are fascinated. We're, we're fascinated by the human spirit. We're fascinated by, about, you know, being conscious, being present. We're, we're fascinated. I I think also it's almost like a miracle and, Mm. um, you know, you've heard of miracles that happen and you hear about them all over the world. But I think the, the, the man that had, 
created the most amount of miracles was Jesus Christ. Uh, and no matter whether you think he was a son of God or who he was, he was a man and he created these miracles that, um, you know, bringing Lazarus back from the dead, the loaves and fishes. And like people might think that, that that's a religion thing, but that's a man who was able and capable of achieving great things. And he was taken to the ultimate of his physical as well. So, you know, they, to explain a miracle, because that's what's called a miracle, because there is no explanation to it. And I think about Karen and, and her running for her life and how she survived that when her, her two friends right next to her didn't. How, how, that's a miracle. Mm. How did that yeah, happen? Great. You know, and how you did what you did. You know, Jamie, listening to you, like, <laughs> I am, like, I, I'm trying to think, when have I taken myself to the brink? I don't know. I don't know if mm. I've ever taken myself physically to the brink. I love to hike. I hiked for two months as a 19-year-old through snow and ice, but I never thought I went through the brink. I thought, I can do this. This is, I can, you know, I've done three days solo, but I don't know if I've taken my physical body to the point where I, I know that you and Kim have taken it and Karen have taken it. You know, so, Cindy, they talk about flow. Um, that amazing author, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, he talks about it in his book called Flow, the um, something optimal experience. And they talk about it being on the edge of um, skill and capability. So when you've taken your body to the edge, when you've taken yourself to the very end, it's only there that you find that flow. And I just wonder if that's the same kind of thing. Well, uh, I don't know if now that I'm saying it out loud, I don't know that it is, but it, it, I wonder if, you know, when we're just doing what we love to do and what we can do, that's one thing. But when we do go to the brink, when we do go to our edge, um, you know, we discover that the edge is so much further away mm. and we still have so yeah. much more. Like at, I think we only go to yeah. 40% as Jamie said. Apparently. I know. I feel, I feel ill every time I think, Oh, it's got to be more than 40. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Surely I've scratched, I've scratched another couple of percent. Surely. I think, um, I think with all, all said and all said and done, I think discomfort has a massive role in it as well I, I i think when you're in um pain suffering discomfort um facing the uncomfortable i mean funnily enough the 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 subheading of the documentary is being comfortable uh sorry getting comfortable being uncomfortable which gets thrown around a lot at the moment but again it represents more than the actual physical activity you know initially i thought oh yeah you know that's a great heading for this ultra marathon but to be fair it's a great heading for life getting comfortable with the uncomfortable the uncomfortable conversations you know speaking up for yourself learning to say no um learning to you know not people please and things like that learning to be honest when you know everything inside you screams to tell your friend you know you look great in that dress when really you want to say jesus christ have you considered the red one you know it's it's getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is you know a narrative for life and i think in that discomfort is where we we get to experience a taste of some of what we were talking about perhaps that's my my, my thoughts on it anyway yeah, I mean, you're awesome. a, you're a humble man, and just quickly tell us what your world record is in. Oh God! Uh, yeah, and by the way, anyone is welcome to this if they hear this and they think, "Oh, geez, I could do that." There, they are more than welcome. <laughs> um, I uh, where were we? 2013, maybe I think got the world record for the most amount of burpee broad jumps. Um, so we did four thousand two hundred and sixty-seven and travelled a distance of eight and a half kilometres over 22 and a half hours down in, oh, sorry, up in Cairns Esplanade in summer, which was a really poor logistical organisational part on my behalf. Um, Did you yeah, pass Quite normal. Oh, no, I, yeah, look, I, I don't think, I've, I think I do have a bit of PTSD or something. I've got this little twitch since doing it that I'm not, uh, I don't <laughs> think I'm, I've fully recovered. No, I, I, I had, 
I had never, um, I'd never been sick from exercise before. I'd seen guys in the military, you know, throwing up and, and carrying on, and I'd never experienced uh, vomiting or nausea induced from excessive exercise. But that that particular event managed to, um, yeah, I just didn't think I could possibly bring up anything else. But I, I had just, yeah, an uh, an, an abundance of stuff. Fluids, bodily stuff, mm. come, just kept coming. Yeah, sorry. But, yeah, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, um, Jamie, you're, so that's that. And you've also attempted to do the most number of pull-ups in 24 hours. Is that something yes. that's still on the radar? 10th of August, I have my re-attempt. I'm a big believer in, you know, when you make a mistake, it's a, it's a mistake. And I've had take one, which was last year at the Sunny Plaza. I made the mistake in doing it in front of the greater Sunshine Coast community, which seemed like a good idea at the time didn't mind a few bright lights and flashing lights at the sunny plaza but this time I'm going to take a more humble approach and and uh, do it at the gym but on the 10th of August we'll have another punt oh, well we loved coming to see you all through the night darling and you look, are, just, you're uh, amazing oh I think you're an incredible trainer and I just I love your spirit and that's something the word I'd love to bring up with you and share is maybe you can tell us about the um, the document you know, the dates of the documentary and then this beautiful phenomenal nahi that you're bringing out from New Zealand, but that what I'd love to lead into that is a word that I wrote about in my book and and it's a New Zealand word it's a Maori word and that's mana, and when I think of the word mana, there is no other description for it. Um, I can't describe it in the English language, but what I, I do appreciate of it is that it's seen as a supernatural force in a person, place or object. And it basically means that it's the enduring, indestructible power of the Atua, which is God. Can you explain to us about Nahi and how I'm sure he has truckloads of mana sure. and why you want to bring him here? Oh, where where do I start? Is there? I'm I'm in agreement with you. I don't know if there is a vocabulary to explain my very brief, a word that can explain my brief brief encounter with Nahi. Um, I mean, I've I've seen Tony Robbins a couple of times. I've seen other amazing speakers, um, of which. Kimmy, obviously one of my my favourite. I haven't seen Sydney or Karen speak yet, but Nahi Nahi left an imprint on me. My my life will never be the same, and I mean that sincerely. And I spent no more than fifteen minutes with him, literally. And he was a man that stood probably similar to you, Karen. And in fact, the way you were describing your experience with the Bali bombing and how you said you were five foot two and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. over the 10 foot wall. And this was a man who would be similar um, statue, five foot two, and he commanded a room like he was 11 foot. He was a tiny, small Māori man with a tāmoko, which is a traditional Māori tattoo on his face. And we, I won't go through the whole story, but he was an integral part of the documentary to, to give people an insight into Māori, who Māori people are and what wairua spirit or what spirit means to us as Māori. Um, and he spoke into the camera without taking his gaze away from the camera lens, unscripted, no lines, no nothing, and spoke for 12 minutes. And... Oh my God. And I stood there watching this and I felt so moved, so emotional. This man was so powerful and profound and his message was so simple and I was getting overwhelmed with emotion. And I looked over at Nick, the cameraman, and he was weeping. I looked over at my uncle, who's not an emotional guy, you know, and he, he's weeping. The guy holding the lights, he's weeping. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for you three blokes, I'm crying too. So I start crying and there's four of us and he, he just, I can't begin to explain. He said three very simple things to me. And again, I thought it was in relation to the ultra marathon. And as it turns out, as time's gone on, it is a, it's good advice for life. And he said three Māori words for three Māori phrases. He said, kia kaha, which most of us know means be strong. Kia maya, which means be courageous. And kia manawanui which means be steadfast. And I remember thinking, 
yeah, that's that. I'm going to hang on to that like a lifeline. That's that's my lifeline for this ultra marathon, of which it was. It was it was a, a driver for me. It helped me. It was like just hang on, Jamie. Be courageous. Don't quit. You know, be steadfast. And then after the event, after 34 hours of running and you know in the darkness and the rain with no company and no music, I realised that that was the exact message that I needed to hear at 40 years of age on how I conduct myself in my life and in my business and my community and in amongst society. I need to be brave. I need to be courageous and I need to be steadfast. And I got all of this from a five foot two Maori elder who spoke to us for 12 to 15 minutes. This man changed my life. It's as simple as that. Well, I hope you can give us the link because I know many of our listeners would travel to come and hear him. And I just, I know that the three of us are super keen. I'd love my children to hear him. Um, Can you tell us the dates of the screening of your documentary and also when Nahi is coming to the Sunshine Coast? Yeah. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Kimmy. Thank you for sharing sharing this uh, amongst your platform and listeners. I appreciate it. The documentary, the premiere is on the 29th of April. I literally think we're about 90 to 95% sold out for that night. And then we have the 30th of April um, at the big screen cinemas in Caloundra. And then we are fortunate to have the, the pleasure of Nahi presenting his keynote on the 1st of May at Condalilla Eco Resort up in Montville in their new restaurant. And we have 50, 50 tickets available for Nahi. So it's an intimate presentation and we're about 50% sold. But we would love any of your listeners and yourselves to, to come and experience um, this amazing human being. And so how do our listeners actually get hold of their tickets, Jamie? Where, do they, where would you suggest we send them? Um, What's the, the link? Prob- yeah, probably the best place is to jump on the website Wairua Spirit. It's about W-A-I-R-U-A and then the word spirit, wairuaspirit.com and you can, um, you can get your tickets there. But I can share the link with you guys also after, awesome. after this conversation. Awesome. Yeah, I've awesome. got it and I'll put it on um, the show notes. So that's exciting. I'm, I'm booking in for the 1st of May and I'm going to the movie. So there you go. You've got another ticket sold. Yay. Oh, look yeah. at you. Yay. Um, there we go. I'm not missing that. That will be amazing. It will so. be phenomenal, girls. Jamie, can I just say, I know we've come to the end of our podcast. If there was a parting message that you would have for our listeners, their partners, their family, their community, what would Jamie Milne want to instill upon all of us? Oh, just closing on a nice, simple question. <laughs> um, yeah. Look, I, I, I love the simple, I think nowadays with, with the internet and with the social media platforms and the complexity of life, I do my utmost, even in the fitness industry, to simplify things. So take the complexity out of things and simplify things. So I would part, and, you know, part this conversation with the simple suggestion or encouragement to just do the right thing. That's all. Just simply do the right thing. Sometimes we don't necessarily know what the right thing is to do, but I can assure you we know what the wrong thing is because you get this little feeling in your stomach and you think, oh, that's not such a great idea. And it can be anything from making sure you indicate at the roundabout to making sure that if you are shortchanged in a cafe or anything, you know, give, give the money that uh, was the correct amount. Just, just, just do the right thing. Tell the truth. You know, be honest, be integral, be steadfast, be courageous, all those things. Just do the right thing. That's it. you're all of those things and we adore you and we're so grateful to have you here on the sunshine coast so on behalf of of the three of us i just want to say it's an absolute pleasure to interview you we love you dearly you're an incredible human being and your endurance is something to be reckoned with and certainly inspirational for all of us traveling this thing called life our own ultras and i think your messages have been incredibly strong and and beautiful so thank you Oh, you're welcome. Thank you very much, ladies. I'm truly honoured and feel very grateful to share this space space with you all. Thank you very much. You're so welcome, Jamie. It's been an amazing show. Ah, awesome.
<laughs> so for all of our listeners, hopefully you guys have gotten as much out of today's podcast show as we have. We have just loved every moment of inspiration with our Jamie. Head on over to the website that is in the show notes if you're out taking a run, doing the grocery shopping or vacuuming or working, whatever it is that you're doing. Make sure that you go to the website whyruaspirit.com and grab your tickets and also check out Jamie's documentary and grab your seats there if there are any seats left by the time you get there because us three have just taken three as well. Just saying. So, <laughs> so if you guys have got any questions or any comments for Jamie or about today's show, head on over to all the w's.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat. You can also go over to all the w's.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat and post your comments or questions right there. In the meantime, make sure that you stick it in your diary to come and join us here same time, same place next week, right here on Up For A Chat, where you get to become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. And we are so going to see you on the ride. Bye for now, everybody. This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.